the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. In Romans 10, 14, and 15, we read this. Another picture of how this works, of how it spreads. This is Paul talking about the message. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear of him without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is paying it forward. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. Today we will be continuing our study through the book of Romans, and today we'll be hearing a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Embracing the Faith. So if you have your Bibles... Please return with us again today to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. But some people are going to end up in heaven, and some people are going to end up in hell. All roads lead to God, but Jesus is the only way to salvation. In Acts 4.12, we read this. For there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Recognize it for what it is. It is the power of God, and no one else has that power to save but Jesus Christ. And so nothing else saves. Nothing else saves. You know, there's lots of religions in the world, lots of opinions, but not every opinion counts. And there's this whole idea that you can do something to earn your salvation. You can be good enough to get into heaven. But the Bible tells us differently in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. Fail in one, fail in the whole thing. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you recognize this for what it is. It is the power of God for salvation. It is the only power. Now the message may sound foolish to some, but it is effective because of of the omnipotence that resides within it. The omnipotence of God. The power of God to save. The power of God to raise from the dead. The power of God to take those who were once his enemies, who were once children of wrath, and make them children of God. The power of God to deliver people from lostness, to remove the scales from their eyes and to see the way to eternal life in Jesus Christ. 
sort of a spiritual CPR. The power of God that saves from the wrath of God, the power of God that transforms the selfish into the selfless, and that rescues them from the ultimate penalty of their sin. And we'll talk about the wrath of God next week. Recognize the gospel for what it is. It's the power of God to save. You know, I'm reminded men have the power to kill. Women have the power to kill. People have the power to kill. But only God has the power to save. And we should accept no substitutes. So we conceal it rather than, well, excuse me, we reveal it rather than conceal it. And we reveal it because of what it is, the power of God to save. And the third key is this. Embrace the gospel because you realize who it is for. As a believer, as someone already saved, you embrace the gospel because you realize for who it is for. Look again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What does that mean? It means there are no special classes in God's economy. There are no special people groups. There are no elites. There is no privilege in God's kingdom reserved for special people. It is a gospel for all people. There is no identity politics in God's equation. There's no room for it. We are all sinners. We are all oppressors. We are all perpetrators. And if we are woke to the gospel, we want to share it with all people because it's for all people. The Jew first to the Greek, the barbarian, the wise, the simple, everybody. Where do we see that? We see that in Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For if you are, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. That's good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto us is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Poor are as wicked as the rich. The rich are as wicked as the poor. The homeless are as depraved as the landed gentry. The landed gentry is depraved as the homeless. The apolitical are as corrupt as the political, and so on and so forth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this, is a, and this gospel is for all people. No one has an inside track. Paul talks about this in Galatians. In Romans 3, 21 to 24, what does he say? He says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For because all, everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, not by any merit or specialness on their part, as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You realize who it's for and you want to share it with all people because it's for all people. You reveal it rather than conceal it. You recognize it for what it is. You realize who it's for and you embrace the gospel because you understand fourthly how it works. You see, we have to embrace it. We have to understand it. We have to ingest it. We have to touch it, feel it, handle it, study it because if we don't know If we don't understand it, we can't explain it to all people. If we don't understand how it works, we can't explain it, can we? And we see this in Romans 116D. Don't worry, I'm not going to get to Z here. We're, We're good. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who does good deeds. That's not what it says. To everyone who believes, to everybody who faiths, to everybody who trusts, to everybody who embraces, to everybody who puts their confidence in it. 
It is information that saves, rescues, and redeems that needs to be believed, digested, ingested, and trusted. And what do I mean by that? Where am I going with all this? It's essentially this. Belief, saving faith, isn't just mental assent. It's not just knowing the facts. It's about understanding that you've sinned against a holy God and believing that you're a sinner and turning away from that way of thinking and putting your faith in Christ. It's not mental assent, right? Even the demons believe and shudder, James 2.10. And it's more than just saying, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus, because the demons believe in Jesus. It involves a change of mind that brings about a change of life and a change in direction. Jesus puts it this way in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. Some translations say the time is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This belief is a conviction that holds you. You know, people... People have beliefs. A man may have beliefs, but convictions have the man. It's like a baby. This faith, this belief, this trust is like a baby jumping into his father's or her father's arms. There's total trust. That's how it works. It's, it's like a, a person in a burning building jumping onto the ladder 105 stories up with a fireman. It's scary sometimes, but you know what the truth is and you know where you need to be and you know where you need to go. It's overriding one's fears and embracing God. In Paul's day, and that's why he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, in Paul's day, you had to say, Caesar is Lord. If you didn't do that, you got executed. You got jailed. You got penalized. For the Christian, they had to trust God enough to say, Jesus is Lord. It's denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following after him to the place of death, or is it the place of life? That's what a believer does. We understand how it works. We, are, we receive the information, and our salvation is activated by faith. It's not by works. It's by faith. We trust in God. We trust in his promises. We believe that he is who he says he is, and we surrender all to him. We surrender our past, our present, our future, our will, our rights. That's faith. There's no works involved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. You receive and believe the good news, and you act on it. You surrender. You lay down your arms like a terrorist and put up your hands and throw yourself into the arms of God, like that little boy in that picture. That's the good news. We believe the good news, and we act upon it, so to speak. In that day, the good news often came from the emperor or from the government, and they sent heralds into the countryside, and they would talk about the birth of, a, of an heir to the throne, or they would talk about a victory in battle for a general. Well, our good news is the birth of the Savior and the gift, the salvation that he offers. And we, as his ambassadors and we, as his servants, are to go around the countryside and proclaim it to everyone who will listen so they might surrender. We're not afraid, we're not ashamed of the gospel because we know how it works. And how does it work? In Romans 10, 9, and 10, which we'll come to eventually, you see sort of a short version of how this works. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is where people get asking Jesus into your heart from. Now, what happens a lot of time is they only tell part of the story. You know, yeah, you do 
verbally or in your mind ask Jesus into your heart. But it's not just a mental assent. It's not just an emotional thing. It's a combination of things. There are three components to saving faith. There is certainly the mental assent where the mind understands it is helpless before a righteous and holy God. And that this is an individual, this mind understands it has offended God by living for itself. It is emotional because one embraces the truthfulness of those facts with sorrow, with godly sorrow over the sin it has committed, he or she has committed against a holy God. And it is volitional, it is an act of will, because the sinner submits his will to Christ and trusts in him alone as the only hope of salvation. That's what's going on here. And so sometimes in shorthand we get a little sloppy and say, ask Jesus into your heart, but we don't explain what that means. It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe only Christ can save you. He died for your sins because you needed a savior to pay the debt that you could not pay and he died as your substitute. And C, commit yourself to him. Put your faith in him, your trust in him. Mental, emotional, volitional. Drink the water. You know, a lot of times uh, people will say they'll have medicine or they'll have water. I've got a sore throat, I have a glass of water. Oh, this glass of water will help me if I drink it. But if you don't drink the water, it doesn't help you at all. If you don't take the medicine... If you don't decide to take the medicine, if you don't determine to embrace Christ, if you don't put your trust in him, it doesn't work. We have to understand how it works if we want to embrace the gospel so that other people can embrace it. Additionally, you have to, number four, or number five, I'm sorry, comprehend how it spreads. Comprehend how it spreads. So you you reveal it rather rather than conceal it. You recognize it for what it is. You realize who it's for. You understand how it works and you comprehend how it spreads. You embrace the gospel. You embrace gospel living because you understand how the gospel spreads. And how does the gospel spread? It spreads like a virus from host to host. It spreads the way movements get started from person to person. Where do we read that? Romans 1.17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God or from God is revealed from faith for faith. It spreads by faith for faith. We reveal it. We don't conceal it. We tell people about it. God has given us a mission to share the message. We share the message. And when we share that message by faith, trusting in God to do the heavy lifting, we abide in Christ, keep his word, and leave the heavy lifting to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. It spreads. Then another person embraces. You could say it spreads from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. I'll show you a an idea of this in Acts 16, 25 to uh, 32. And here's a good graphic here. It's like, it's, you see how, the, you see the multiplication effect here? It's like catching a cold in a good way. It's like the spread of a virus from host to host to host. That's how the gospel goes out. That's what you're called to do. That's what you're called to participate in. And we see an example of this in Acts chapter 16. About midnight, let me set this up. Paul and Silas have been arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. And what do they do? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. The prisoners were listening to them. They weren't concealing their faith. They weren't concealing the gospel. They were revealing it by their actions. But you know, it goes beyond actions. It goes to talking about it too. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. 
just a little cultural background, they had a good way to prevent, prevent jailbreaks for people from bri- uh, bribing prison guards. Somebody escaped, they killed the guard and his family. Or the guard could kill himself and spare his family. So he, this guy sees that the prison doors are open and he figures it's curtains. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Notice he doesn't say me and Silas are here. He says we're all here because these prisoners are enthralled with Paul and Silas because they have revealed, not concealed their faith. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, we're just engaging in lifestyle evangelism, so we're not gonna say anything. That's not what they said. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. You and your whole household, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they came to Christ. That's how it spreads. It's revealed from faith to faith to faith for faith. That's what is happening there. It spreads like a virus, except this virus is a good virus. It's a vaccine against heartbreak, fear, disappointment, and destruction. The righteousness of God, the gift of God, spreads from faith for faith to faith to faith. In Romans 10, 14, and 15, we read this. Another picture of how this works, of how it spreads. This is Paul talking about the message. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear of him without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is paying it forward. You know, we talk about paying it forward and acts of benevolence, acts of charity, acts of kindness, acts of selflessness. This is paying it forward. This is how the gospel spreads. This is avoiding the sin of water because you want to give people living water so they'll never be thirsty again for all eternity. We want to share our promotion from children of wrath to children of God with anyone who will listen because that's how it spreads. We communicate, yes, with our lives, but you cannot leave the lips out of the equation. You don't want to be a hypocrite, but you also don't want to be someone who has never told anybody, never offered anybody the cure. Which brings us to our sixth key. Grasp what it means. What it means for them, what it means for you. What it means for eternity, what it means for survival. The righteous shall live by faith. Some translations say the righteous shall live by his faith. By faith, the righteous shall live. The same idea. Those who have been saved will live saved. There is an aspect here of eternal survival. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. There's this future idea. You grasp what it means for the future of yourself. That's how you became a Christian. And the future of others around you. You reveal it rather than conceal it for the sake of the next recipient. You grasp the full implications of the gospel, eternal life, which ultimately leads to an eternal perspective. You do not come into judgment because you have put your faith in Christ and you, do, you live. Eternal life, peace with God doesn't come from works. You don't buy God off. Christ has bought you and your trust for him in him and he gives you life. And that's why Paul will say in Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Now, what about the here and now? 
Well, this verse is often misunderstood. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. There is eternal life, but there's also temporal survival. What do I mean by that? It's like this. When you've embraced Christ, when you've embraced the gospel, you you comprehend what it means. It means that no one can separate you from the love of God. Nothing visible, invisible, nothing can separate you, not life or death, things seen or unseen. And you're able to live in this life, to suffer hardship, to experience heartbreak with an eternal perspective, looking through the crisis to the end. And that sustains you. And so there's this aspect of temporal survival, being able to live in the present, in the here and now. An example of that is found in Habakkuk 2.4. And that's what Paul is quoting here. Let me give you some background on Habakkuk real quick. Habakkuk is written, prophet Habakkuk, it's a complaint to God. He's complaining about the injustice and unrighteousness of the Jewish people, and he wants something done about it right now. And so God says, I'm going to do something all right. Your prayer is going to be answered. God is going to send the Assyrians and Nebuchadnezzar, and he is going to devastate Israel. And people are going to perish, and they're going to be carried off into captivity by a relentless, oppressive foe. And Habakkuk goes, whoa, time out. I wanted something bad, but I didn't want something that bad. And God says, you know what? He's talking about the unrighteous. His soul is puffed up. He's not right. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith, will survive this calamity by his faith. Because of his faith in me and because of his perspective, because of his understanding of me and my character and my goodness, the righteousness shall survive, shall endure by his faith. There's a double meaning there. He's saved by faith and he survives by faith. And so you and I grasp what it means. It means hope, the hope of heaven, and it means peace in the storm right here and right now. The one who weathers the storms of this life is the one who trusts God. If you don't trust God, you cannot make sense of your existence. And every hardship and heartbreak will seem like the universe is picking on you. And you'll be upset, mad, confused, turned inside out. But the righteous, the one who trusts God, will live by his faith. That's what Habakkuk is saying. And that's what Paul is saying. And we need to grasp what that means so that we can explain it to other people. If you and I are going to embrace the gospel beyond just our salvation, but to fulfill the mission, to fulfill our purposes, we need to reveal it rather than conceal it because we recognize what it is, because we realize who it's for, because we understand how it works, we comprehend how it spreads, and we grasp what it means. And in terms of application... I just want to encourage you that the religions and philosophies and the ideologies of this world are poor placebos compared to the surpassing glories and greatness of the hope of the gospel that is in you, having embraced Christ. God has raised us up for such a time as this. And the question is, what are you going to do with what you heard today? What are your next steps? I want you to think about this. I want you to look at your notes. I want you to listen to it online. And I want you to commit to God or yourself, or both, preferably, that you will try and make these six keys your six practices, your six mindsets. I can't know where each and every one of you are in life at this moment, and I can't give you an exhaustive list of application. But if you trust in God and his character and his goodness, if you've experienced the forgiveness that comes by putting your faith and trust in Christ, then you have been called to embrace the whole gospel and to reveal it rather than conceal it and to take it to the world. And I want you to consider that calling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do know your goodness and your character. Your mercies are new to us day by day. Your love, unimaginable. Your power, 
unsurmountable, unconquerable, your salvation eternal. Lord, help us to think about how we need to embrace the gospel every day fully. Yes to salvation and yes to sanctification. Yes in glorification, Father, and yes in tribulation. Help us, Lord, to be the real deal. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.